Turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We want to pick up our study in verse 1. And Lord willing, we're going to take it up to verse 8. If you've been with us uh, through the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul has been drawing concerning the model church. And he spent three weeks at Thessalonica, a short time for a minister that's developing a church. We know that Paul had to leave. We know that he was actually escorted out. But yet, the Bible teaches us that God's word never returns void. And so Paul looks at this church. It's on fire for the Lord. He speaks of it as the model church. And here in chapter 4, in these eight verses, the model walk of the believer. Paul is a true shepherd. His concern to seize every opportunity for spiritual instruction, to fulfill the law of love. And we're going to speak of that even this morning. He taught the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul never held anything back. And so this walk of a believer, this walk of a Christian, this manner of life, not just on Sunday morning, but as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go see our friends and family and loved ones. How is our walk? It's easy to come in here on Sunday mornings and say, brothers, sisters, how are you? God bless you. And then they return to favor. God bless you. But how do we act outside of these walls? How is the walk of the believer effective outside of the walls? Tomorrow morning when you go to work, you know the people you work with better than anybody else. Do they know that you're walking with Christ? Do they see Christ in you? The Bible says that to be a Christian, the word Christian is to be Christ-likeness. And so the importance. And so Paul begins here. Look at verse 1. He's talking to the church at, at Thessalonica, and he's writing from Corinth. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge you, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And I think that's so important, not just to walk this manner of life, but does my walk, does it please God? I mean, there was a time when I pleased the world. There was a time when I pleased my friends. Does my walk in Christ, does it please the Lord? So Paul's exhortation of love here, to the church at Thessalonica. And he begins here, we urge you. Now, the King James says, we beseech you. And if you look at the word to beseech, it means we ask you, but a better translation is we beg you. And then he says, and we exhort you. The word to exhort is not to tell you what you're doing right or doing wrong here, but it's actually the word prayer. And so we beg you in prayer, we're asking the Lord Jesus Christ that you abound. Listen to the words now, that you increase more and more. And so we have to ask the question, to increase more and more in what? Obviously, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but especially to increase in Christ. You see, before we receive Christ, how did we walk in the world? 
We ought to walk. We must walk in this new manner of life. Vine's Dictionary of Greek Word says this, in the newness of our your walk in Christ or with Christ, previously we walked in the things of this world. Speaking of our sin nature. Why? Because as a true believer in Christ, I desire now to walk in Christ to please him. Before I came to Christ, I desired to please self. Before I came to Christ, I desired to please man, my friends, people at work. Before I came to Christ, I desired to please the things of the world. Look at the things that we copy of the world. And so now we come to this new relationship in Christ Jesus. We come to this new walk in Christ, no longer in the world. Is my manner of life pleasing to God? Is my manner of life with integrity? We're going to be speaking about holiness, righteousness, all these things that should be part of our lives. I'm not speaking about when we were non-believers. We knew that, that we were not walking with Christ. But now I'm walking with Christ. I want you to turn to a passage because we need to see this to develop it. Back in Genesis chapter 5. So go back to the beginning of the book. Genesis chapter 5, we're going to begin here in verse 18. But let me just set this up. In Genesis chapter 5, we have the genealogies from Adam to Noah. But we're going to be speaking about this man called Enoch. Enoch pleased God. And so Paul's telling uh, the church at Thessalonica, we're begging you as we pray to the Lord that you truly grow in Christ. And then he says that you would please God as you walk in Christ. And so here, in Genesis chapter 5, we begin up in verse 18. I just kind of want to bring it all together. But you're going to see some big numbers here of ages. You have to understand the flood has not taken place yet. There's a greenhouse effect. There's no rain as we understand rain. And so there was this canopy around the world. And vegetation was great. And I mean, it was the perfect environment, if you may. Because the sun raises what usually kills. And so it was nothing for men and for women to live such long lives. And then God is starting, you know, the human race. And so it's growing. And so pick up on some of these numbers. We begin in Genesis 5.18. Jared lived 162 years and he begot Enoch. Imagine having children at 162 years old. Now Enoch, in the Hebrew, his name means dedicated and consecrated. And it fits perfect. Verse 19 goes on, after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and then he died. Imagine social security in those days. Enoch lived 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, and I want you to mark this down, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. But he walked with God. What a beautiful picture. Now, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament Bible, the word says here that Enoch walked with God, but in the Septuagint, Enoch pleased God. I like that translation too. Not only was he walking with the Lord, but in his walk, he pleased God. And then the Bible says that he took him. Look at verse 23. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, 
for God took him. Now we know that Enoch is taken out of the picture before the flood. And we know that the flood is coming. Enoch is always a type of the rapture of the church. And I want you to remember that because we're going to be dealing with the rapture of the church at the end of this chapter in the next couple of weeks. And so Enoch walked with God. Enoch pleased God. We know that translation. And he was not, for God took him. God takes him. He spares him in this time of tribulation that's coming. The flood is going to kill so many. Now, in Revelation chapter 11, we see two witnesses that are going to return during the time of the seven years of tribulation. Many believe that that first witness is Elijah. Others also believe that the second witness is going to be Enoch because Enoch was taken. Elijah was also taken in a whirlwind, in a flaming chariot, basically. And so we'll just leave you with that. But notice now verse 25. Methuselah lived 187 years, and he begot Lamech. And after he, after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years, and he had a son. And he called his name Noah. And the name Noah in the Hebrew means rest and quiet. And so God had Noah to build the ark. It took him 120 years. And we know that only eight people entered the ark. And the rest of civilization at that time, many died. And he called his name Noah, saying, This is the one, uh, this one will comfort us concerning our work and our toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord God had cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But this beautiful testimony of Enoch, that Enoch pleased God. Abraham, he pleased God. We know that King David was a sinful man, yet he pleased God. We know that Paul the Apostle, he was a tyrant as Saul of Tarsus, and he comes to saving grace, and then the rest of Paul's life, his desire was to please God. And I make an emphasis on that because I knew when I was in the world, I wanted to please man. I wanted my bosses to see me. I wanted my friends to see me. We look for everybody to please them. I come to salvation now. I should desire to please God. Lord, here am I. Use me. Let me give you a few more verses, but I want you to listen to them. And you can take them down if you're taking notes. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, listen to what Paul writes. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, and here's the key, should walk in this newness of life. So listen, we're a born-again believer now in our walk with Christ because we have partaken of his death, we have partaken of his resurrection. We have partaken of the cross. And we've come to saving grace now. Here's another verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. There is therefore no now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do, do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. 
What a beautiful place. We walk according to the Spirit. And again, all you have to do is think back. Look at the things that we walked in. The things that we did. Look at our manner of life before we came to Christ. And so now he says, but now we walk according to the Spirit. Here's another beautiful verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, therefore, purge, and the word is clean or cut off. He says, therefore, purge, cut off the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly uh, are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So leaven always speaks of sin. And now Christ has made us whole. Now we know we're not dough, we're not a piece of bread, but notice that he says, you purge out the leaven that you may be a new lump. Another translation, so that you may be a new clay. Basically, we were made from dust, and dust, we're going to return. In Genesis, he says that he took man, and he made him from dust, and he blew into his nostrils life. And so we're that clay, and he's that potter. And as I walk in this newness of life, he chips away. He purges. He cuts things out of my life. He cuts things out of your life. And as we read the word, the Holy Spirit tells you, Bob, don't do that no more. George, don't do that no more. Mary, don't do that no more. See, I don't have to say it. You don't have to say it. It's the Holy Spirit as I read. He convicts the hearts. Listen to this passage of Scripture. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, And as many as walk according to this rule, according to this rule, what is he speaking about? Let's get back to it. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The rule Paul speaks of is this new creation. In verse 15, prior to that, uh, of Galatians 6, 16, he speaks about this new, this new walk, this new life now. But I want you to turn with me because I want to draw some more. Go to Ephesians now, chapter 4. But again, Galatians 6, 16. And as many as walk according to the rule, we've come to saving grace now. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the, the Israel of God. We've come to saving grace. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul takes it a, a little bit further. Verses 1 through 6, he speaks about encouragement in this walk. We need to be encouraged. That's why we study the Word. That's why we read the Word. That's why we look to the word for our answers. Because I'm going to walk according to the flesh. I'm going to walk according to the world unless I have direction. And listen to what Paul says so beautifully here. Ephesians 4, look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and here's that word again, I beseech you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Walk worthy of the manner of life, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I call myself a Christian. Then let us walk in this new life now as pertains to Christ. I, I love that word Christian. And basically, I'm saying I'm a little Christ. I know that I'm not, but I want to be more like him. In verse 2, he goes on. With all lowliness, this is my walk now. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. It's done through agape love. I can't do it. But we're to walk worthy. Listen. 
in lowliness, which speaks of walking worthy in humility. Humility of the heart. Be careful when we try to look humble outwardly. What, what does humble look like? We don't know. But humility should be in our hearts. Walk worthy now of gentleness. The word is meekness. No longer angry. No longer frustrated. No longer, you know, yelling and screaming and shouting. But walk worthy in gentleness, meekness. Walk worthy in long-suffering. Listen to this, men. The word long-suffering, patience. Walk worthy in patience. Oh, Lord, that's a hard one. Then ask the Lord. Pray. Now, walk worthy in, he says here, bearing with one another. And the word to bear means to endure, to put up with one another. And how do I do it? And his love. Some of you deal with family, friends, and, and families, friends, loved ones, co-workers. And sometimes they're mean. And we have to bear with them. Sometimes we have to take it. Take up their suffering. I see some of our brothers and sisters in our own fellowship that just continually going through some kind of hardship, some kind of pain, some kind of malady in their life, always in the hospital, always going for checkups. And, you know, you say, Lord, and I know their hearts. I know they love the Lord. And so we take on for them. We pray for them. That's why we have that prayer list in the bulletin. And then he says in verse 3, endeavoring. The word is labor, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's stay united. And how do I stay united? I stay united in Christ. And then look at verses 4, 5, and 6, because there was a lot of heresy in the early church. There was a lot of false teachers, a lot of false prophets, a lot of false evangelists. So listen to what Paul says as he just brings it to a conclusion now. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, one. We have to be very careful. The false teachers, the false prophets were declaring heresy. Now, even in our time right now, there's a group that believes that Jesus is Michael the archangel. There's another group that believe Jesus is Lucifer's brother. There are other groups, even today, they believe Jesus is one of the great prophets. My Bible, your Bible says that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Remember when Thomas said, uh, Jesus, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus declared to him a deity. And so the false teachers were then, the false teachers still today. In 2 Corinthians, I want you to mark this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Paul tells the church at Corinth, be careful. When these men, these women will come around, be careful when you tune on the radio or you turn on the television. Because he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, there's another Jesus out there. There's another spirit out there. There's another gospel out there. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Bob? Well, there's a group that says Jesus is Michael the archangel. There's another group that says Jesus is Lucifer's brother. And there's another group that I share. Jesus is a good prophet. 
No, Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. There's another Jesus out there. There's another spirit. There's another gospel. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 2. And so Paul says now, for you know, he's talking to the church at Thessalonica, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. What commandments we gave you. Now, please, if you're taking notes, Paul is not speaking about Exodus chapter 20. He is not speaking about the Ten Commandments. But the word that he uses here for commandments is the word instructions. And so Paul gave instructions uh, to the church at Thessalonica for three short weeks. We know that according to Acts chapter 17. These instructions are rules of life. When I first came to Saving Grace, I was smoking, I was selling drugs, I was drinking, and I thanked the Lord that nobody in the church told me, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. They just kept telling me, come to church, come to church, learn the Word of God. Man, uh, I was so embarrassed after, but I used to just curse so much. And nobody said nothing. And you try to quiet it down, you try to keep it down. But those things come out, they're part of your life. Man, you come to Christ, you start reading the word, you come and you fellowship, you're worshiping with other believers, you're hearing the word, you're praying, and all of a sudden, transformation starts to happen. And your friends start to leave you. Your friends start to question, what's wrong with you? And you no, no longer have the appetites of the world, but you desire to walk in this newness of life. Why? Because you've been instructed. You've come to saving grace. You've been instructed. You know what's interesting? Paul was there for just a short time, three weeks. We know that. But more amazing, how much the church at Thessalonica, listen, retained what Paul taught them. You see, the Holy Spirit is my teacher. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth, and he will teach us all truth as you get into the word. And so Paul, as Christ, he went to the various cities, and Jesus' ministry was threefold, preaching, teaching, and healing. That was Paul's ministry. That was Peter's ministry. That was James' ministry. That's our ministry here. My ministry is to preach, to teach, and then we pray for the sick. You know what's interesting? Preaching is for the non-believer. Teaching is for the believer. But healing is for both. I've seen God heal a non-believer, and usually that touches their heart. But I'm always reminded of the ten lepers. Only one leper came back. A lot of times people get healed, and then they go back into the world. Hey, I got a good arm now. I'll go back to the world. Be careful. Preaching, teaching, and healing. Let's turn to another passage. Go with me to 1 Timothy. You're there. Just flip over a few more pages, depending on the size of your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 5 now. And I'm going to read out of the NIV just kind of a, a little more fresh. He begins in verse 5, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of this command is love. And so Paul's instructions were always in love or through love. 
The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. This is going to, you know, concerning the false teachers. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. And he says, or what they are so confidently affirm. And so it's important to preach and to teach. But is it the word of God? Again, there's another Jesus out there. There's another gospel out there. There's another spirit out there. Make sure you're being taught the word of God. Make sure that you're listening to the word of God. Oh, I have a lot of commentaries. And I have a lot of CDs. I have a lot of teachings. And, and yet, I wait for the Holy Spirit to give me insight. I love when you go, you go to the, the Vine's Dictionary of Greek Words and it just gives you a whole new meaning because it, it was written in Greek. And we have to understand that. Now, if you're taking notes in Ephesians, oh, excuse me, Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's in Acts chapter 20 now. It's called the farewell message of Paul to the church at Ephesus. He basically got together with the Ephesian elders. And he was encouraging them. He was going to leave them. He had been at Corinth for about three years. And he knew he was going to leave. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, listen to these words. Paul says, I gave you, speaking to uh, the leaders at uh, Ephesus, I gave you the full counsel of God. I held nothing back. In fact, earlier in Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I went from house to house. And I take pride, spiritual pride, in teaching the Word of God here at Calvary Chapel. That's what God's called us to do. Some of you that are new, you, you come in and you, you're used to hearing a sermonette. You're used to hearing, make me feel good, Pastor. You're used to hearing, Pastor, I want to know how I can get rich. And yet, when we begin to teach the Word of God... The Word of God is powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And sometimes, listen, the Word of God cuts. And a two-edged sword cuts when it goes in and it cuts when it comes out. But that's the power of God. And so Paul, sharing his heart with the church at Thessalonica, he's going to speak now about sexual sin. Look at verse 3. Let's go back to our text. For this is the will of God, Paul says. Your sanctification. This is the will of God. You are sanctified, church. That you should abstain now from sexual immorality. As the walk of a true believer, we are called by the will of God, by the desire of God. God desires that I come to saving grace. God desires that you mature in Christ. God desires that you become a servant of the Lord, but it starts with your salvation. God calls me into salvation. And then the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest the man should boast. And, and then he gives to us sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification is very easy to understand. We are called as Christians, listen, to separation. Separation from the world and now consecrated to God. And so he bestows upon us sanctification. We're separated, and he calls us not only to separation, but to purification. We're purified in Christ by his precious blood. And not only separation, purification, 
but he calls us into holiness. All of that entails sanctification. Now, here, here's the irony. I know that in me I am not pure. I know that in me I am not holy. The Bible says I'm also righteous. And I know in me I am not righteous. But in Christ I am purified. In Christ I'm separated. I'm different. We're peculiar people, the Bible says. In Christ now I am holy. You are holy. In Christ now, I am righteous. You are righteous. Now, we don't go around boasting of that because I know I'm a sinner. You know you're a sinner. But as I walk in Christ, he's transforming me. He's changing me. And so we understand that. And so then Paul exhorts them with love and compassion. Because you're now sanctified, because you've come to saving grace, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The word to abstain is to refrain from, is to hold, hold off from. Sexual immorality, if you have a King James, they use the word fornication, but the word fornication translated in the Greek, it's actually the word pornea. And if we look at the word pornea, this is where the word porn comes from. This is the beginning of the word pornography. And so when you look at pornea in the Greek, we're to abstain, we're to flee from harlotry, or adultery, incest, and even idolatry. Flee all types of sexual sin. Today in our 21st century, the mentality today, well, what's wrong with sexuality? Well, there's nothing wrong with it in the marriage but we have young people experimenting. We have transmitted diseases out there already, and it's just gonna get worse. While we use a condom, it doesn't matter. And the schools are giving you condoms, but that doesn't free you. We're living in a society. So Paul says, if you're sanctified, then abstain from all these sexual sins, whatever it might be. And young ladies, pay attention. Be careful when that boyfriend says, I love you. And be careful when the young lady says to the young man, I love you. No, I lust after you. Well, we need to try this before, you know, we go any further. No, we don't. My Bible says if you're a Christian, you're to abstain from sexual sin. And so we get a lot of terminology today. You know, you can't tell me what to do. This is my body. This is my choice. It's none of your business. True, it's your body, it's your choice, and it is none of my business. But if you're a Christian, then you've made it God's business. You're to refrain. You're to uh, restrain yourself. And he's going to be speaking about lust. And lust can lead you even further. And so now notice verse 4 as he continues. He says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification again and honor. As Christians, this new walk in Christ, this new walk of a believer, as a Christian, we are responsible, and he uses the word to possess. And the translation there, to get a hold of or to acquire 
or to obtain. Now listen to this. His or her own vessel. Now we know that a vessel is something that, like a container, a vessel that holds water. You might have a, a pot to put plants in so it holds dirt. Some kind of a vessel that holds something. But what Paul is speaking of, we have to get the crux of it here. The vessel that he's speaking of, he says, get a hold of or, or acquire or obtain his or her own vessel, his or her own wife or husband. That's what he's speaking about. How do you do this? In sanctification. Make sure that girl you're dating, that boy you're dating, is sanctified, set apart. And the word, that they would be in purity and in holiness. With honor, it says here in verse 4. And the word speaks of dignity. And how do we do this? But you listen to the Holy Spirit. Each one of us should know, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, how many times as a pastor I've heard when somebody comes in, Pastor Bob, we want to set up, you know, some counseling. We want to get married. And then I say, are you Christian? Are you born again? Oh, yes. I've been coming to Calvary Chapel. Is your fiance? Well, she's close or he's close. And as soon as we get married, I know. Oh, really? The Bible says you're not to be unequally yoked. It was a farming term. You know what a yoke is? It would put two animals in place. And the logic was, if you put two oxen, they're going to draw you a path. You put two horses, they're going to draw you a path. But if you put an oxen and a donkey, uh-oh. Common sense. You put a believer and non-believer, common sense. And so Paul is giving us some insight to each of you you should know how to possess his or her own wife or husband. And how do you do it? In sanctification. That they be pure, that they be righteous, that they be born again of the Holy Spirit, just like you. Then it says, in honor. In honor. Now, mark this verse down. This is one, part of our marriage vows when we do a wedding here at the chapel. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. I love this verse. Paul writes, I believe he's the writer of the book of Hebrews, if not the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Husbands, your wife is to be honored. The marriage is honorable. The word there, marriage, you go back to Genesis chapter 2, God gave us the institution of marriage. It is the first covenant that God made with man. Marriage is honorable. The word is marriage is valuable. It's costly. Marriage is precious. Why? Because Jesus shed his blood for that marriage. And then it says here, it's honorable among all and the bed is undefiled. The bed is pure. What goes on in the marriage bed between a husband and wife? It's pure before the Lord. But as soon as somebody starts to go outside of that purity of the bed, it becomes soiled. And that's where he says, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so we have to be careful. Men, I want you to remember this. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18, the proverb says, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Rejoice 
with the wife of your youth. It is so important to see this. Now, if I read verse 4 and then I go right into verse 5, watch how it works. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. And notice what Paul says, who do not know God. Sexual sin is not love, but it can become also lustful. Lust speaks about the passion of sexual relation, the passion of lust, the lustful passion. Vine's Dictionary of Greek words says passions of the mind and of the heart. Be careful when lust gets in. This is what's damaging so many. Pornography, the word pornea again. Well, I'm just looking at a few pictures here. And before you know it, it gets farther. It gets into the mind. It gets into the heart. And then before time, if you don't let it go and if you don't give it to God, you're going to have to act on it. That, that's the way the devil works. Why do you think we have so many predators today? And this is an encouragement to those of us that are parents. I've got three grandchildren, Mary and I, and man, we pray for them. Because they're vulnerable. And I tell my kids, don't let go of your kids. Find, find them where they're at. Follow them. Go into the bathroom where they're at Kmart. Don't send them in by yourself. Too many predators out there. Know where your child's at. You have to tie your child to your wrist and his wrist, her wrist. Fine, do it. People look at you weird. Hey, I'm, that child's going to be tied to me. I remember years ago there was a lady here. And her son was, wow. He was one of those. Two dentists of Venice and one, right? And she actually had a harness on him. And I go, oh, man. And then after, I started to see why. And this harness let him go so far and then brought him back. Because she couldn't catch him once he took off. I said, put a harness, put a helmet, put everything on him, shackle him. We need to take care of the children because the predators are out there. Notice that he says, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles. The word Gentiles speaks of the pagans, but also another word that they use for Gentiles, non-believers, another word, the dogs. Because they do not know God like you do, Christian, like you do. Flee from sexual sin. Flee from lustful desires. Listen to this verse. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, when I read this years ago, it hit my heart. Jesus said, whosoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. And that goes the same with the man or the woman looking at the man. Now we see beautiful people. And, you know, I like what my pastor shared years ago. There's nothing wrong with seeing a beautiful woman, a handsome man. You take one look and you look away. But it's that third look, that fourth look, before you know it, the tongue's hanging out. Be careful. Be careful. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I want you to write this down. Genesis chapter 39. There's a young man there by the name of Joseph. Joseph was in charge, basically, of Potiphar's house. We know that he was sold off to Egypt by his brothers and such. And Potiphar loved him. He was a good servant. He made Potiphar a lot of money. But Potiphar's wife, she wanted him sexually. And this went on day after day, week after week, until she set a plan where all the servants were gone. 
And the Bible says that when all the servants were gone, she went after him. And she grabbed his garment and she says, Joseph, lie with me. The Bible says Joseph ran from sin. He ran from sin and his garment was left in her hands. Now, Joseph received the penalty for that. But I think Potiphar knew his wife because he should have killed Joseph. But he knew his wife. Joseph was sent to prison. He didn't die. She fabricated. Once she knew that Joseph was not going to lie down with her, then she said rape, seduction. But I think Potiphar knew his own wife. But Joseph ran from sin, church. Joseph ran from sin. And sometimes we need to run and don't feed that lust. Remember pornea. It starts off innocent. It's amazing how we're reading all this stuff in our own community that's going on. Teachers, coaches, people working in, in our government should not be. Turn with me to Ephesians. Let's look at a, another passage now. Ephesians chapter 4. I should have told you earlier we were going to bounce around a lot this morning, but it's good, a good exercise. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 22. Paul, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he speaks about the new man in Christ. And again, we have this model walk of the believer. How we walk in Christ. We walk in holiness and righteousness. We walk in this newness of, of life now. I'm not like the world. You're not like the world. And so we walk in Christ. In verse 17, Ephesians 4, this I say, Paul says, therefore, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the vanity, which is, uh, some of your translations is futility, but the best translation that they walk in the emptiness of their mind. Their minds are empty. Our minds were empty until we came to know Christ. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Satan had our hearts covered. We couldn't see. Oh, I knew God. You knew God by name, but we never had this relationship. Verse 19, who being uh, past feeling, having have given themselves over to lewdness. The word lewdness in the Greek is filthy vices, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. That's not what you've learned, believers. That's what he's saying. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ Jesus, then now Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, the old woman, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. The enemy loves to lie to you. The enemy loves to tell you it's okay. Again, it's your body. It's your choice. Oh, you're having, you know, everybody's doing it. Isn't that the favorite term? Everybody's doing it. You know, one thing... When I grew up, I was not a follower. In fact, I was a leader. People followed me. But I wasn't one of, hey, take this, take that. I used to go to parties and they'd hand me stuff. And, and I'd see people, they wouldn't even look at it, they'd just pop it. What are you doing? You don't even know what you took. And just, you know, somebody says, hey, everybody's jumping off the cliff. Come on, let's try it. Why? 
Be careful. God has given us a mind. Think. And especially if you're Christian now. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 6. We're going to be coming to the conclusion now. In verse 6, Paul says that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother or his sister in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such things, as you also forewarned, he forewarned you and testified. Now, Paul changes gears here just a little bit. He's been talking about abstain from sexual sin, run from sexual sin. You're a Christian now. you got this new walk in Christ. But now he speaks about not just sexual, but your work ethic, your business ethic. And so obviously the Holy Spirit was speaking to Paul to move from this place of sexuality. He's already dealt with it, and he deals with it with most of the churches. But he speaks about the business world, just a small portion. The model Christian would never take advantage, listen, to seek for more, Never take advantage or to defraud, to take personal gain, covetousness from, to cheat your brother, your sister in Christ. The word in any matter, the word matter speaks of a business deal here in the Greek. Paul taught the church in the area of work ethics, all the churches. Remember, we've shared about that employer-employee relationship. The employer uh, is to treat the employee, the employee is to work for that employer. We do our work, we do our business dealings as we are working for Christ. Our business deals is if I'm doing business with Christ. <laughs> I've listened to Pastor Chuck's teachings through all the years that I've been a Christian. I grew up on listening to Pastor Chuck. I get a lot of insight from Pastor Chuck, wise man, obviously. And one day he's teaching about no liar is going to get into the kingdom of God. Now, if you've ever been to Costa Mesa, it's a huge church. And I mean, and they live right there in Orange County. I mean, that's the hub. That's the money. And you won't see, we, we laugh because when we went there, you don't see any Chevys. Everybody has those expensive cars, right? And so there's lawyers, doctors. Everything possible is there. So no liar is going to get into the kingdom of God. And Chuck says, I know some of you are lawyers, but I just have a hard time that a lawyer is going to get into heaven. And then everybody laughed, you know. And then Chuck says, well, there's another group too. I can't understand how a car salesman is going to get into the kingdom of God. And then the lawyers now are laughing at the car salesman, right? But no liar is going to get into the kingdom of God. And so we're called to walk in this newness of life, to walk in purity, to walk in holiness, to walk in righteousness. So you walk in to your dealership and you're ready to sell a car and here comes Jesus. Jesus, I want to sell you this late model car. It was driven by an old lady only on Sundays. And she was 80 years old. And she only had one leg, so she didn't wear nothing out. Are you going to do that? No. Well, you need to sell that vehicle, listen, as if you're selling it to the Lord. And then he goes on, verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but he called us in holiness. Again, this model Christian 
He spoke about sexual sin. So we're not called in sexual matters or now business matters into uncleanness, impurities, but we're called to purity. Whatever I do, whatever you do, let us do it as unto the Lord for the glory of God. And so we might make that prayer. Lord, I'm going to remain pure before you until marriage. And then after marriage, I'm going to still remain pure. Dedicated to that bride or that husband that God has given you. Lord, I will remain pure in my work ethics. As an employer and employee, it doesn't matter. You see, we're called to walk this, this walk of a believer. This manner of life. It's in holiness. There's two pet peeves that I have. You've heard them before. When I first came to Saving Grace, my speech was cursing. I worked in the machine shops for 16 years, so, you know, it was not, it was just part of the routine. What was interesting is my speech was not like that at home because my wife and the girls. And so I come to Saving Grace. And then God called me to start sharing, start teaching. Oh, man, you don't know what I went through. I'm going to be reading, and Jesus said, I was going to say, you know, something off the wall. And I used to pray all the time, Lord, clean my mouth. Lord, clean my mouth. And I can honestly say he has. And so in James chapter 3, he speaks about bridling the tongue. And every Christian, listen, we come in and we worship God with these hands, the Bible says. But with these hands, I do mischief. I come in and I worship God and I'm, and I'm giving praise and honor and glory to God with this mouth. And then I leave the sanctuary and then I curse. It should not be, church. It should not be. There has to be this purity, this holiness, this righteousness because of Christ. Now, my second pet peeve, we just finished tax season. In fact, I haven't even done my taxes. I'm always late. And uh, I get an extension. But uh, to stay with integrity as you do your taxes. The tax man says, did you give this much to this organization? Yes. Did you do that? Yes. And see, the tax guys know what they can get away with. But where's our ethics? Where's our ethics? Now, turn to a passage with me, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. The gospel. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And now, the other gospels also share this basic story, but Jesus is dealing, listen, with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, we're always trying to trap Jesus. Basically, you had the Pharisees, scribes, and the Sadducees. The scribes were the copyists of the law. But the Pharisees were always trying to entrap him. When it came to marriage, they were trying to entrap him. But Moses said that he could give a writing of divorcement. And then Jesus says, Moses did that because of the hardness of your heart. But in the beginning, it was not so. So now the religious sect challenges him in the taxes. In Mark chapter 12, look at verse 13. The Pharisees said this, it is, it is, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Good question, right? 
Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were another group, another sect. Basically, the Herodians were a Jewish political party, believed appointed by Herod. They submitted to Rome, not to the Sanhedrin. There was another sect called the uh, Essenes. Many believe that John the Baptist was part of that. And, and they were really radical. But basically, the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, were part of the Sanhedrin. So he says here, Then they sent to him uh, some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. They wanted to trap Jesus. Verse 14, And when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and are and care about no one. In other words, Jesus didn't wasn't swayed by man. He says, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. And then they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Good question. Verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, he saw their hearts, said to them, why do you test me? And then Jesus says, bring me a denarius that I may see it. Verse 16, so they brought it to him, and he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar. And Jesus answered, and he said to them, render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They always tried to trap him, but they couldn't. And when they come to try to trap you, always answer them from the word of God. Always tell them what the Word of God has to say. And if they ask you something that you don't know, be honest. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I know this. Jesus set me free. And so look at verse 7 again back in our text. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but he called us to holiness. If I'm not married, if you're single, God calls you to purity, man or woman. God calls you to purity. If you're in business, you're in work, whatever it is, in school, you're called to purity. If you're a Christian, if you're walking with Christ, if you're walking with God, if not, go back in the world, and that's where you can walk with the world. And so now, Paul closes it up. We're going to finish here. Look at verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but you reject God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. I like that. Well, I don't like what you're saying, Paul. Well, I don't like what you're saying, Pastor Bob. Well, you know, we're just the messenger. You have to deal with these things with the Lord. You have to deal with these things with God. What does God's word have to say? That's why I told you when, you know, I came to Saving Grace, nobody at our church was like, Bob, you better stop smoking. You better stop selling pot. You better stop cursing. You better start. No, nobody said that. But as you read the word, the Bible says you fall upon the sword. This is a sword. And the Holy Spirit teaches you. Now, some of you that have been Christian, been coming to the ministry, you know when you're doing something, the Holy Spirit says no. I don't know how many times I've seen somebody, they're having a distress or something, they're pulled over on the side of the road, I can see it, but I just go by and I say a prayer for them. And man, I can't get two blocks, the Holy Spirit says, turn around, you prayed, good, but turn around, 
Oh, man, I got an appointment. I go, turn around. And that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's leading you. I told you that time I went to El Paso, and it was early in the morning, so I bought me two, you know, breakfast sandwiches. I'm going to have it with my coffee all the way back. And I see this guy. He's hitchhiking. He gets in the car, and I'm all happy. I'm going to give him a ride. And then I, Christian, right? Are you hungry? Oh, yeah, brother. He ate both sandwiches. <laughs> Thanks, Lord. <laughs> But you see, the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you into all truth. And then you go, whoa. And so, listen to what the voice of the Lord is saying to you. Therefore, he who rejects this, what Paul's been teaching so far, does not reject man. You're not rejecting me, Paul says, but you're rejecting God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Now, Paul gave the full word of God. He didn't hold anything back from the Ephesians. He didn't hold anything back from the Thessalonians. He didn't hold anything back from the Colossians, the Philippians, the Galatians. The list goes on. The Corinthian letters, oh my goodness. Paul let it out. He nailed them because they were deep in sin. Listen to this verse. In Acts chapter 18, verse 6. Paul is dealing with the Jews in Corinth. And in verse 6, when the Jews opposed Paul, they became abusive. He shook off his garment in protest, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean of my responsibility, for now I will go to the Gentiles. Radical statement. The Jews were good at that. They would either wipe their feet off and say, leave. And in this case, he shakes off the dust off, the, off his coat, you know. And he says, your blood is off my head. I told you. Now, I don't like to go around and tell people that, but we share. We give the word of God. I don't want somebody one day to stand before the Lord and say, I went to Calvary Chapel and I was never told. Oh, yes, you were. Because this is the word of God. That's what's important. So how is my model walk with Christ? Is it in newness of life or is it still in the world am i still in sexual sin am i still you know in evil dealings whatever it might be only the holy spirit can reveal that to you in psalm 139 it tells us that god is the all-seeing eye he sees all church and so we must give it all to him